This week on the latest episode of The Big Show, it's another week and SAG-AFTRA remains on strike. While there's signals that a deal could be imminent, we'll wait to see if both the union and the studios can push the ball over the goal line. We'll discuss the ramifications of this potential holiday gift. Plus, there are several new films in theaters this weekend, including The Marvels and Dream Scenario. Charles Kirkland and I will cover all that and more on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Experience life through the eyes of a true film addict. Keeping it real with Film Gordon. Welcome to the latest episode of The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon. Charles Kirkland Jr. joins me. What's going on, Charles? Hey, Tim. How's it going? Man, it's going fine. I don't I don't understand why you sound like that, but <laughs> what's going on? Has it been a long week? Have you been sitting I, in movies every night? What's going on? I am exhausted. I, you, you, let's just say this. The alarm clock goes off at 4 a.m. On, on Wednesdays. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm on the road by 4.30, driving out to Chantilly, picking up here, picking up there, get back to the church about 9, 9.30, give out food for three to four hours, and then clean up, return the truck, all that stuff, you know, it's it's a pretty busy day, and now I'm doing a show, which, you know, hey, here I am. All right, man. Well, you know, thank you. I mean, I didn't need all that. Oh, a, matter, a matter of fact, the audience didn't need all that. I just asked you how you... <laughs> but but thank you. Uh, Chantilly, by the way, is in Virginia, because Charles thinks that he's just talking to people who live here, and the show is listening to around the world. So Chantilly is in the great state of Virginia. Charles Kirkland is deep, uh, deep, deep within the state of Virginia. It is not I, deep I, within the state of Virginia. It's just <laughs> in the state of Virginia. Which there are some places that are deep in Virginia. Uh, but no, but seriously, man, I told you, and I'm glad that you you kind of uh, spotlighted what you're doing, man. I mean, you know, anybody who is helping to feed the hungry, brother. You know what, man? My my hat's off to you. If I had a hat off, a hat, I would tip it to you right now. So the proverbial invisible hat tip. So, uh, bruh, uh, here we are midweek. We're doing the show a little differently today because um, I have obligations tomorrow and Charles elected. He had two options. You know, it was door number one. You could sit in the big chair, man, and do the show by yourself. Or we could do the show on a different date and we could do it virtually while I sit here in my tropical paradise, you know, overlooking all this sun and all this stuff. Literally, I'm overlooking sun, Charles, whether it's my fake background or whether it's the real looking out the window. I'm looking at sun right now. You can see it beaming off my forehead. Look. Yeah. Yeah. The shine. The shine. There it is. is. All right, Charles. I thought uh, by now we would be announcing that SAG AFTRA had struck a deal, man. I heard they were close. They gave uh, the studios gave SAG AFTRA their their what do they call it? Their final their best best yeah. and final offer. Woo! So how did that work out, Charles? What did you <laughs> What did you hear about the final best offer? 
you know, I'm I'm so glad that you're so optimistic about the best and final offer. I I haven't heard anything positive about it yet myself. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be their final. I think they're going to be the bestest and finalist offer is still coming. So we'll see we'll see what happens as it goes forward. I'm just going to be real transparent right now. And Charles and I have talked about this off off air for several for several months. So it's not like this is a new topic, Charles. Um, there's a little selfishness to all of this for me, right? Not that I'm a member. Well, actually, I am a member of SAG after the local chapter here in D.C. Um, but I'm thinking about our fundraiser for the foundation, which, of course, is one of the biggest that we do every year annually is the Black Real Awards and the Black Real Television Awards. Now, if you've watched this show with any regularity, you know that we initially had a Black Real Television Awards show planned in mid-August, which, of right. course, we had to not necessarily postpone, but we had to cancel it and move it and merge it with our January shows, which we put in variety in the trades. So announcing that we were combining the television awards and the film awards on January the 16th, right? Because we we thinking, Charles, when we did that, man, we got plenty of time, man. All this labor unrest, it'll be over by then. <laughs> Fast forward to the day, November the 8th. And here we still sit. The writers, after 146 days, were able to uh reach an agreement with the studios to end their strike the uh sag after went on strike i want to say was it sometime in june charles because i know we're right. like 100 days right now and as i was explaining to a colleague last night uh, you know people who really don't understand is this summer the directors the dga went on strike the wga which is the writers guild went on strike and SAG AFTER, which is the Screen Actors Guild, and I don't remember, I think AFTRA stands for Actors Federation Television. No, I'm sorry, Actors Film Television. I don't know what the RA part of AFTRA is, right? So I, I apologize, because I don't know I got that part wrong. But pretty much what I do know to be gospel is that despite the fact that the actors, directors, and writers all went on strike. If any of those entities are not working, nobody's working, which means that there's no production design work being done because there's no, nothing to shoot. There's no casting going on right now. There's no location scouts. There's no hair and makeup. There's no cinematography. In short, if the actors, writers, or directors are shut down, nothing is happening. So one of the things that I read yesterday, and I'm trying to remember Charles uh, on Twitter, there was some actor who was telling me that, you know, and this is a high A-list, high profile A-list, i.e. actor who's got some capital. He got some money, right? He's telling them, man, you know what? You hold, <laughs> you hold the studio's feet to the fire. And then you got all the rank and file, these folks who haven't been working for six months. And they're like, man, wrap this thing up so we can get back to work. So, Charles, it's a, it's a very interesting situation. And I always ask people who aren't in the entertainment industry when they come to me and ask about the strike. And I go, could you afford to be out of work for like six months? 
if there was a strike in your industry? I mean, do you have six months of savings that you can just sit around and not work and figure out how, when the strike is going to be over? It's, it's, it's crazy. And I, and I think that that's the part of the story, Charles, that gets buried of the impact of the entirety of the industry, not just these branches, because these are the, the biggest three branches. And if they're not working, you're not working. <laughs> And so, so, you know, the thing that, like you said, most people don't think about when, when we used to talk about the Screen Actors Guild, everybody thinks that, you know, these rich uh, actors who make a lot of money for whatever. But the AFTRA stands for the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. So there, there's a whole bunch of other people out there who are not working because of this strike who don't make millions and uh, kajillions of dollars like the big screen actors do. And so, yeah, the, it is the every man. You know, the funny thing is you talk about six months salary. We have, you know, there's a threat that there's going to be a government shutdown. And, you know, when I worked for the federal government, they always told me to have at least six months uh, in the kitty because you <laughs> never know when something is going to happen. Right. And I, and I was part of a both a shutdown and a furlough. So, you know, it, it's hard if you're not prepared. And many actors are out there. You talk about people who work waitressing, waitresses and waiters and waitresses during the day and doing their screen acting during the night. They they are not rich people. So when this this kind of thing happens, you have a whole lot of people who are affected. And you, and I, I was just at a movie last night, and you think about it, when you watch the credits roll, all these people are, are, work, are not working because of this strike. It's not just the actors. It's everybody is out of a job. So it's, it's, it's pretty all-encompassing, and it's pretty depressing if you think about it. So two, two quick numbers, man, and Charles is absolutely correct. Uh, the strike is now in day 117 or 118. I'm not sure exactly, but either way, that's a long time to be on strike, right? And then the most important number, and I remember reading this somewhere, Charles, doing the Writers Guild strike uh, or doing the doing when the WGA was on strike, is they were saying that the, the cutoff in order to get health care, if you are in the Writers Guild, was like $26,000. Remember this? And yeah. they said 87% of the writers aren't making $26,000 a year. Can't even qualify for health care. So when you're talking about a strike that's all-encompassing and how it shuts an industry down, I also read recently, within the last week or two, that California has, has lost $5 billion in film production just in the last six months. $5 billion. So we're talking about a lot of money, a lot of lives that are out there that, that people are suffering right now. Y'all got to figure out a way to, to bridge the gap between uh, Ted Sarandos at Netflix, Bob Iger at this studio, uh, this guy that's making billions of dollars on his end while you got other folks down here who are making less than a hundred thousand dollars on average. They're like making no money. So it's crazy to me, man. So that I'm just going to wrap this up, man, because there's really nothing more to say. Um, but I, I started off with my own selfish reasons 
that if I don't think we get a deal in the next two weeks, Charles, we can't produce a show that we can turn around in January. We just don't have enough time. And we're not alone. I know the Critics' Choice is coming up in early January. The Golden Globes are in a similar situation, the celebration of Black cinema. The Emmys, which moved out of September to January, January 15th. Everybody is like, you know, like tight right now. Look, everybody's sitting here like this, like, uh. <laughs> I, I was watching on, on uh, my, a friend of mine had sent me a video where a caterer was talking about how he was affected because he would be supplying f- food for film sets. Right. And there's nobody working, so he's not working. So you 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 think it's act it's just actors, but it's the entire industry. It's California as a whole is is going into a depression because of this strike. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah bro. It's, so, it's sad. It's sad. Uh, stay at the table, people. Uh, Thanksgiving is in two weeks. <laughs> we got we got to see some progress in the next two weeks, man. That's all I'm saying. Inside inside baseball, you know the uh, the the giant pandas here are moving out, uh, going back to China, and so on the news today they've had nothing but panda watch, panda reports, and everything like that. So maybe we're going to start a strike watch where every every week we're going to say, well, here we are, day one hundred and twenty thousand. So, so you telling me China taking their pandas back, man? That's what China's taking their pandas back, and and you know people are losing their mind because there will be no pandas in, in the United States. It's not just here in D.C. It's all across so the United States. they taking all the pandas? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, man, if you want a panda your own, you got to create your own panda. You got to have your own panda situation worked out. So so they taking all of the existing pandas as well as all the baby pandas. They like all thinning out. Wow. Rolling them out. Thanks, Charles. Uh, hey, man. You have, hey, you. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I can't help it. I'm just, I'm punchy because it's been a long week, man. So, and as a rule, Charles knows this. Um, film critics are not at the movies every day, except for like one particular time of year, right? When you get to award season. And, and to be perfectly honest, you know, the, the film critics that I know today are soft, right? And y'all are soft because I'm telling you 20 years ago, before streaming platforms and before they would send you out links, bruh, I remember like clockwork at the end, like after Thanksgiving to like the end of our cutoff, what they used to do, which they don't do anymore, and I don't know if y'all can take it, is they would schedule three movies a day for like six or seven days straight. And I remember folks would get up and you'd see them at the movies at 10 o'clock and they, they, their eyes are bloodshot. They sipping on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. Look at Charles, it was rough. You was like, we got 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 7.30. Two, and the next day, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 7.30. They had a couple of days where they do an 8 o'clock 11 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 7.30. Because <laughs> they trying to make sure. And then on Friday, Charles, they would do the same 2 o'clock, uh, uh, I mean, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, but they would have a 4 o'clock. 
because they knew we had to start voting at five o'clock that Friday. So it was rough, bro. <laughs> and, and the part that made it funny is that the best films, like the ones that they really liked, they would save those for like Friday. You would see, it would be like, here's the last thing you got before you vote. You're like, thank you. <laughs> so well, it, it was a it was a tactical ploy because they knew they say like the song goes, they save the best for last. And the best for last. Stay fresh, stay fresh on your mind that that's the best, and you would vote for that. That's but now y'all all soft, man. Like I got the, the week before Thanksgiving, man. I'm gonna give y'all, I'm gonna give you a movie a day. Plus, that's not counting that you know we've got our own light real film series this Friday. We also have the event at Howard University with Ruthie Carter that I got to moderate on Saturday. So I purposely didn't do anything over the weekend because I was like, I know it's going to be a long week, man. So Charles and I will be splitting up tonight. Charles is headed to, to in town to watch one movie. I'm headed to watch another one. We'll see each other, I think, tomorrow, right? Possibly, I, I guess it depends on your schedule. You're the one that's got to do interviews. Oh, that's right. That then I got I got interview. I got interviews for Rustin tomorrow. And oh my god, man, yeah, it's just it's just a perfect storm this week. And if I wasn't doing movies this week, as a man of God, our church is celebrating its 50th anniversary. So they're in lack of a better term, like revival all week, man. <laughs> it's like they've been in church, man, like since Sunday. They'll be there tonight, tomorrow, the next day. Ugh, man, it's a, it's a lot. And, and then think of all that, Charles. Then Thanksgiving comes in two weeks. Well, uh, you know, this weekend, I already told you, Friday and Saturday is the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware having their, having their uh, annual meeting of which I am on the committee for producing. So yeah, I will have to, I'll have to beg off of Friday to be there. And, you know, I got three movies. You talk about being, I mean, if you go do, if you do film festivals, you should be able to handle three or four movies a day. I got three movies on, on Saturday, on a Saturday, I got three movies. And then, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with doing movies. I, somebody I know is like looking for screeners. They're talking about, I, I need to get my, oh, I can't wait for, I'm going to wait for the screener. Hey, man, like, let me tell nah, you something. No, nah, bro, I, I'm going to go see the movie. Let me tell you something. I've gone to Sundance, and I didn't do it this year, but there have been times, and, and I've done this once, so I'm not going to try to put it out there like this is a regular thing. I saw six movies in a day. One time, and I'll never do that again. Um, <laughs> man, I, if you ask me, like, like to remember the six movies, I probably couldn't do that. So, you know, I don't remember. Like, I know one of the movies, uh, was, or I remember the last one. The last one was uh, the horror movie, Hereditary, uh, uh, which, which I took a nap in because it was, it, and it was a horrible nap because the theater was freezing and it was super cold at like two in the morning when I got out of that screening. But my point to, but to your point, Charles, if you go to film festivals, like we go to Sundance, TIFF, we do um, the, the New African Film Festival. We do our own film festival in June. Um, Middleburg. We do Middleburg. I said, did I say TIFF already? Yes. Sundance, TIFF, Middleburg. So yeah, if you go to, if you go to film festivals enough, um, Yes, it makes perfect sense that we are conditioned that we can watch three and four movies easily in a day. 
right? The problem is, is that when you're home and you've got real life mixed in, see, because remember, when you're at a festival, that's all you're doing. You're at a festival. There are no other obligations when you in Utah, Toronto, Middleburg, and all these other places. But when you're home, you're trying to figure out how to fit in movies between real life stuff. That's the challenge. Now, so when I say I'm tired or I'm begging off, it's because I'm home. If I was away and we were doing all this, it'd be a different story. It really yeah. would be. Because, you know, Fair you're point. Sundance, Fair you know, point. I'm at Sundance. What else are you doing? You're not working a job at Sundance. You don't have your wife with you at Sundance. You don't have the kids that you don't. You don't have to be, you don't have anybody to answer to. You are at a film festival. So it, it is a very different uh, kind of vibe. And, and you know, I, and I know that people sitting at home going like, I don't really understand, like, why are we listening to them talking? Because the process of getting you the information that we get you, this is how it happens. You know, I, I understand that a lot of people don't want to be at the bakery and watch the baker making bread. But you sure enough, you sure enough want those croissants and you want that wheat bread. So this is the process of getting you, quote unquote, the bread that happens every year. Now, I will end this, wrap this part of the show up by saying that um, Sean Edwards, who's a colleague of ours, you know, board member for the, for the Critics' Choice Association, put out a tweet the other day that he was done for the year. He's seen every film that he needed to see. No, 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 but there's a reason. Really? Because, yeah, because, you know, the Wilson Morales, the Sean Edwards, you know, there's certain critics who get access to stuff like way in advance. I used to be one of those guys, and then I started telling people how I really didn't want to see movies that early because it's really no fun, right? Like if I saw The Color Purple right now, A, I couldn't talk about it. B, I can't review it. And even if I do talk about it, you can't see it until it comes out. So the fact that you can see stuff super duper early, it helps you. It doesn't really help anybody else. So I would prefer to wait on my movies. And the closest I get to seeing, or the closest Charles and I will get to seeing movies in advance is when you go to TIFF and you go to Middleburg. Because there are movies we've seen at those festivals that are coming out probably in the next six weeks, right? Um, and I know I got one word for you. I got one word for you. What? Loki. We should talk about Loki. No, I'm saying you, you say you don't want to see stuff way ahead, but you sure did watch all four episodes of Loki. Well, yes. Yeah. We, we talked about that several weeks ago on the show of how inconvenient it was actually, it was last week that we, how inconvenient it was, how they set you up. Uh, it's a six episode season. They send you like five episodes. So you you watch the first five episodes and then you just out the game for a month and a half until the final episodes drop. So I actually did see episode five of Loki. It was good to to, to kind of be back in the conversation and catch up. <laughs> I was like, wow, a new episode. Wow, that's nice. Uh, so so again, if you didn't listen last week, we were talking about how uh, as reviewers we will get things, you know, either films or television shows in advance of their release date. And I have made the mistake and Charles has done it and Charles is is reformed. So he doesn't do it anymore. But I think the last time they got me, Charles, is when they sent in like the last season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It was eight episodes in the season and they sent like seven in, which was horrible. So I had to watch 
I watched all seven episodes and had to wait literally a month, two months. Two months. It was one week. I had to wait two months to see the final episode. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, that. It, it, it's it's a very painful thing to be to be sitting on all that knowledge and not have the completion of it. So I'm like, why why send seven of eight? Why just send me eight and I'll and let me finish, or just send me two and let me wait. I mean, don't get me all the way there and and just <laughs> <laughs> don't get me all the way there and then like leave me hanging because that's pretty much what they're doing. Now, yeah, speaking yeah. of being all the way there and left hanging, um, have you checked your queue for, for, for a streaming platform? Because they added a couple of things to the queue that I think you'd be interested in. I did describe my day today, didn't I? At the beginning okay, of the okay. show. All right, so well, no. you get a chance, and I'm, I'm talking cryptic to you on purpose. There, there's, a, there's a streaming platform that we all have accounts on that have added movies to the streaming account. And one of them, I cannot wait. I think, is that movie coming out this weekend? Because I will add that as a movie we need to review because I watched it and I was like, my God, I owe I owe the star a uh, an apology because I have been crushing this guy. Yeah, no, it comes out next week. Goodness gracious, man. Oh, and hold on a second. Is this the same film? Hold on. Give me one second, Charles. I'm doing some... I'm doing some, uh, yeah, it doesn't come out the November 17th, so I got to wait. Uh, but yes, uh, our good friends at uh, the inn, at the flicks, have uh, added some movies to the queue. And one they added, uh, I cannot wait to review because I've watched it twice. And I just think it's the cutest, warmest movie from a guy who... I would never affiliate with making that kind of movie because I've been trashing this guy and in his movies for a while. So mm. that there. So mm. I so, think yeah. I, I no, I, it is I know what you're no talking Tyler about. Perry does not have a new no, Netflix no. film. It's not Tyler Perry. So don't I, I know I know it's not Tyler Perry, but I think I do know who it is. Yeah, the guy that makes I call them vacation films. He grabs his <laughs> friends and they go out on vacation and they make these horrible <laughs> movies, and then they go, Hey man, we had a trip. Here's your horrible <laughs> movie. But he he has turned the corner, and this movie is super sweet. And I love what they did. I, I had to watch it again this morning. I was like, so, hey. Um, so don't say I don't watch movies, Charles. I just, you know, if I see a movie I like, um, you know, it's, it, it, it kind of sticks with me. And, and we always talk about this as critics, man. The films that are the ones that are most memorable are films that are either really, really good, really, really bad. There's always those two extremes. Everything in the middle, eh. I don't remember that. We're speaking of the middle. Uh, we got a couple of movies we have to review this week. <laughs> speaking wow. of the middle. So we, that was a wonderful segue of getting us right where we need to go. And uh, Charles, I want to start off with a film. That, did you Have you seen Dream Scenario? Yes. I okay, saw it with you. We saw it. We were at TIFF. I didn't, I mean, not TIFF, at, at Middleburg. I didn't know if you've seen the film already or if it was me. And, and and let me just give you another tip, man. You see this gray hair right here? Yeah. When you've been watching movies for three decades plus, I can't I can't keep up. 
with all the movies I see, less more with who I saw them with. Because people always get mad at me and go, I was sitting right next to you when you saw it. And I go, okay. I, I can't remember every movie who sat with me and watched every movie. I just can't. I'm not even fronting. It's not being funny. It's like, who did I? Oh, I know who I sat and watched the movie with last night. I, well, I better know who I watched it with last uh, night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Better know that one, but that's another story. But uh, let us kickstart because uh, well, in all fairness, though, in all fairness, though, I did not sit with you watching it. I was in the same theater, vicinity of the same theater with you watching this movie, right. but I, I didn't sit with you to watch it. Yeah, Charles, Charles doesn't sit with me at uh, Middleburg, and there's an obvious reason, but I'm not going to put it out there. It's nothing no. about hygiene. It's none of that stuff. Charles, Charles sits with his cl- his clique. I sit with my clique, and sometimes the cliques don't. Even though they're all in the same clique, there are there are people that rub people in ways that Charles is not comfortable with. So Charles does not sit with me. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, you can put it that way. <laughs> I love how he was like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. I'm like, Charles, why are you over there? You just sit over here. Charles is like, I'm good over here. I'm like, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. I like being uh, on the, the people at home. I'm telling you, look, the people at home, I'm telling you, you the show is called Keeping It Real. Keeping It Real is not just the show title, it is a life philosophy. Life. It's, it's a philosophy, a style. Uh, Charles, of life, look, you baby. know me off air. Do we do we keep it real a hundred percent? All the time. All the time. That's why, matter of fact, these stories, the fact that I can even say Charles doesn't sit with me for a reason, I, I can make it realer, but you know, the names shall be protected. What's <laughs> the phrase? <laughs> the names are, are concealed to protect the innocent. Right. Yeah, pretty much. So that's why we do much. a lot of that. We do a lot of that on the show. Um, but let's oh, let's, let's kickstart uh our film. Is there an echo going on suddenly? Not, not for me. Okay, I, I thought there was an echo, but all right. So let's kickstart our uh, film reviews this week. Going to start off with Dream Scenario, and of course, this film tells the story of a hapless family man who's named Paul Matthews, who finds his life turned suddenly upside down when millions of strangers start seeing him in their dreams. When his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. <laughs> this film is directed by Christopher Borgoli and Borgley. Borgley. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'll take the correction. And let me just say this, man. Um, Charles and I both saw this film at the Middleburg Film Festival a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I will share before we start talking about these films is people will come to me sometimes like they don't understand a film festival, right? A film festival is pretty much, it could be one of two different things. There are single venue film festivals. There are multi-screen film festivals, right? Uh, we go to both. Like when we in, you know, the New African Film Festival is a single venue film festival, which pretty much means that they'll show a series of movies in the same theater. You Every time you watch a movie, you just get out, go get some popcorn, go to the bathroom, come back, sit down again, and then it's time for the next film. A multiple screen venue 
is when you have to make a choice in the same block of do I go to this theater to see a, this movie or that theater to see another one or that movie. And Middleburg has like four different venues that you can watch. I know Tiff, Charles just saw it firsthand, has like 27, 28 different venues every two hours. Sundance has like nine. Oh, they do, Charles. They do. You just didn't. I mean, I mean but one of them is a Metroplex. So I, I would say. Well, no, 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 what I'm saying, when I say that, I'm saying screens. I would say. Yeah, screens. yeah, yeah. So they have two different. Lo- well, I say it's not true because they have the 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 Tiff Light Box, which has eight screens in it. And then they right. have Scotiabank, which has 24 screens. And then the Prince of Wales and then the other two. Royal Alexandria, have, all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They may have five different places you can go. But inside those five places. It's like 27, 28 movies every two hours that you can go see. Now, you're asking me, as we're about to talk about dream scenario, why I'm explaining this. I'm explaining it for a reason that Charles and I made a conscious effort because we both looked at the film schedule, looked at the films that were playing in all of the other venues. And at least I can't speak for Charles, but for me, I love concept films, right? So... When I read the the synopsis that I just read to you, I was like, I got to see that. Um, I remember it reminded me years ago of a film called The Lobster that played at Sunday. It's really weird, kind of crazy concept. I was like, man, I I love concepts at festivals. Like, I got to see this weird old movie. And weird old movie this one is because the absolute opening scene of Dream Scenario Nicholas Cage, Paul Matthews is outside skimming the water out of his pool and his daughter is sitting <laughs> at a at a table, you know, uh outside, right? Right. And they're having a conversation and a pair of keys falls out the sky and, and cracks the table. Nicholas Cage doesn't move. He just goes on just, you know, skimming out the the pool. And then another huge object falls out of the sky. And then another huge object. And it sets up, the, it sets the foundation for this story and the scene that while everything is falling down around him and his daughter is snatched into the sky, you, of course, figure out it's a dream. But in the dream, Nicolas Cage is just inactive. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't try to save anybody. He doesn't try to help anybody. And this kind of... <laughs> goes on throughout the rest of the story. So he starts, he's a professor at a, at a university and he, his, the, the students in his class start seeing him in dreams. Now, of course, it was a really cool thing, Charles, at the beginning because, you know, he's in the dreams and people are clowning him because, you know, like stuff is going on and people need help and he's just showing up. He's doing like a, now, how do they do it in, in film? They call it like a walk-on role. He's just going right. on in people's dreams. Like Charles is having a dream, and all of a sudden, I just walk in and go. <laughs> so it's really cool. And then it takes later a more darker turn because then he actually becomes active in the dreams, and it doesn't go well. And then when reality meets dreams. And how people who loved you, Charles, because you were cool and you were in their dream, but when you start doing crazy stuff in the dream, now everybody's afraid. (laughs) So I thought it was a wonderful kind of satire that spoke about cancel culture. It spoke about fame and what, what fame means and 
why people want fame and then they don't think about the dark side of fame. I thought, I didn't think it was the best movie of the year, but I found it to be hugely entertaining. And the fact that Nicolas Cage is known for doing the most offbeat stuff, man. What was this crazy movie he had? Was it earlier this year or was it last year? Last year with the uh, the importance of being a star or something like that. I forget <laughs> what it was called. Right. I'm just saying, so Nicolas Cage is that guy, right? So this movie, I would recommend it uh, just for the fact that I think it would just, for an hour and a half, two hours, I just think that it would be a really, really interesting film. But that's just me, Charles. So what did you think about uh, Dream Scenario? Um, <laughs> to me, it, <laughs> when when we went through trying to figure out who, what we we're going to see, and we both fell on this movie. I, I love Nick. I love Nicholas Cage. He does a lot, like you said, a lot of crazy things. And um, oh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. That's what it was. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a weird movie, man. <laughs> I mean, where he's essentially playing himself, playing, a, playing a, <laughs> an oversized, like a, a more exaggerated uh, a Nicolas Cage. But in, uh, and so I'm all in for Nicolas Cage. So when we see him, he's like the Watcher in the in the comics, where he's just <laughs> there and he's like, I'm not doing anything, but I'm just here. It's hilarious. <laughs> I, the, the, and even when things get really dark, I'm like, it's it's unbelievably funny. Uh, unfortunately, though, the, I think the third act, it kind of falls apart. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it, if they could, they couldn't figure out how they wanted to land this plane is what I, is like what I like to say about it. Uh, it's it was great and take off and as it was cruising is is doing well. But when it was time to bring it down, they just kind of crashed it. And so it didn't it didn't really work for me at the end. But it's a, an enjoyable film until you get to that point. And even even after that point, you kind of understand what's going on, but you really don't like it. So uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was a great movie until you get to the parts where it just didn't make sense. And oh, that so, you so you're saying this is uh, Five Fingers of Messiah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> another, listen, another inside joke that I have to explain before we grade this movie. Charles and I went to a film festival, I don't know, two, three years ago. And we were, of course, looking for movies for our film festival. And we see this African Western. Good movie. Oh, man. Man, the first two acts, man, I look over at Charles, I go, man. This is classic. ours. We, we put this, this in the This is the one. <laughs> man, we got to the last 20 minutes, and it's almost like as the filmmaker, if the, if the film was a ball, the filmmaker was like, <laughs> I was like, what happened? It was, I, we were almost there. The plane almost touched down on the ground and splat. Oh man, yeah. So you're saying that, and I would agree to you, agree with you because the first two acts of of how they're they're doing the story and or how the story is being laid out, and clearly the whole cancel because it's all about cancel culture and the culture. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and right, the I don't think they thought out the ending of the film. The 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 third act is definitely not as sharp as the first and second acts. That is absolutely yeah. true. I agree, I agree with you on that. Um, but I still thought enough of it to give it a C plus. 
Uh, and, you know, I, I also like the theme about the fleeting nature of uh, fame and how yeah. it can how it can be great one minute and then it just is not the best thing the next minute. And we've seen that with a lot of our superstars. And I'm sure Nicolas Cage can even attest to uh, uh, the uh, truth of that matter in his own life. And so, yeah, I'd give it a I'd give it a straight C. Um, I, I could push for a plus a C plus, but it's right in that range. So yeah, wow. it's, not, it's not the best movie of the year, but it, it's extremely entertaining for most of it. Yeah, I got you, man. All right, so all right, so that's Dream Scenario. It's in theaters this weekend uh, from A twenty four. You want to check that out? I still say you should check it out. The first two acts, it's just very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that now takes us to the big movie we want to talk about this week, and of course, that is. The latest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And of course, we're talking about the Marvels. And this film centers on Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, who has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Kree and taken revenge on the supreme intelligence. However, unintended consequences see her shouldering the burden of a destabilized universe. And when her duties send her to an anomalous wormhole linked to a Kree revolutionary, her powers become entangled with two other superheroes to form the Marvels. And of course, this film is directed by Nia DaCosta, who a lot of people remem- will remember from the 20, I want to say the 2019 or 2020 Candyman remake, which I thought was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, it also stars. Uh, Brie Larson, of course, is Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers. Eamon Villani from the Disney Plus show Mrs. Marvel appears in this, along with Tiana Paris, who people will remember from WandaVision and, you know, the first Captain Marvel. Uh, Zawe Ashton plays Darth and, and was And was also in Candyman. In Candyman, right. Real easy for uh, Nia DaCosta. Uh, uh, Lashana Lynch, of course, returns as Maria Rambo, the mother of Tiana Paris's character. And, um, you know, and there we are, man. So let's jump right into it, man. Uh, Charles and I were not in the same theater for this. Charles was one theater watching it. I was in another, right? And I knew going in, Charles, that, you know, the, the buzz on this film was not strong. Or as they would say on the streets, it was not strong, at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember uh, of all the standalone films that they made, Charles, Captain Marvel was okay. I remember, you know, uh, the original story took place like in the early 90s. Am I correct, Charles? Early 90s? Correct. Correct. And I was like, mm, it's okay. I mean, Brie Larson is, is wonderful as a complimentary piece, but for me, it's hard for her to carry one of these sorts of gargantuan superhero films. So this time she had some company. They bring in, um, as I said, Tiana Paris, who a lot of people will remember earlier this summer. Uh, Charles talked about Candyman, but also they cloned Tyrone, where she was really great in it early this summer, along oh, yeah. with E-Man Villani, uh, who, you know, uh, let's just call it what it is. She, she literally steals the movie from, from out underneath both these stars. Um, and what you have is this story that I described where uh, their powers get intertwined. And probably the most creative thing in the film, Charles, was that sequence when the training they're, they're sequence. All, yeah, they're all <laughs> fighting. 
And every time they activate their powers, they switch, they switch places. So it could be out in the galaxy. It could be in uh, Mrs. Marvel's house. It could be somewhere out in deep space where Monica Rambeau is, along with Nick Fury and Samuel L. Jackson. So I thought that, to me, was sort of the high point of the film, to me, right? The rest of the film, this whole thing, the politics of the Kree and the Scrolls, which a lot of got covered, which a lot of that ground was covered, I should say, in uh, Secret Invasion, um, the, the the regaining of the powers of Monica Rambeau, who having to explain this to Cal Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, which happened back in WandaVision, uh, the whole thing with uh, Mrs. Marvel. I thought all that stuff was cute. Now, having said that, Charles, I don't really think it makes an engaging movie for like an hour and 40 some odd minutes. I thought I thought all of that stuff was cool and great. It was wonderful to finally see uh, a Marvel film that really kind of made like it, it was vintage in the way that it made you feel like a certain feeling that you have to harken back to an older film in order to like to connect the dots in this huge quilt that the MCU has become. Right. The problem for me is that I really didn't care. I mean, I was sitting there. um, but but I will say this, right, without spoiling it for Charles and spoiling it for the audience. The end scene in this movie was probably the best thing in this movie. <laughs> Charles, am I wrong? I, I think you may be a little wrong. I think... Uh, but but I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping mine up. I'm just going to say that if I had to give it a grade, give it a C plus, I thought it was okay. Um... Again, as a guy that didn't read the comics and just watches the MCU, my direct quote when I left the theater, they made 33, 34 of these, right? I've lost count. It's not the worst movie in the MCU franchise history. It's absolutely not the best movie. Is it? Is it mildly? I felt mildly entertained. I just thought that it just had some elements that it was all over the place. Didn't necessarily, I mean, I, the cat thing, you know, eh, you know, eh, eh. I, I, I was really not moved by this film. I didn't think it was horrible. I would give it a C plus, right? It's not a horrible movie, right? It's not Thor Dark World. It's not, you know, oh, it's no. not oh, Iron no. Man oh, 3. No. It's not anything like that. Matter of fact, what I will say, and I'll say this in a very nice way, it's the second best movie in the MCU this year. It's the second best movie, and it's way better than The Flash. <laughs> I will tell you that much. It's way better than The Flash. Charles, come on, that's that's not even a bar worth setting. But I'm just saying that that when I say I'm I'm mildly entertained, I'm saying that Marvel has set the bar so high. That you gotta you gotta reach up to get to the great Marvel movies, right? But it's not a terrible movie. We're not talking Venom. We're not talking The Flash. We're not. I mean, those are horrible movies. <laughs> so, having said that, Charles, what did you think about this movie, man? And, and I think you meant, forgot to mention Morbius, but uh, oh my you know. god, <laughs> oh, I, I, man, I, I forgot to mention it on purpose, and now you put it back into my head. I was like, ah, I had it out. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I still think that you uh, maybe a little underrated this film. I think it was good in that 
uh, it kind of corrects some of the bad things about Captain Marvel and that um, in this universe, the way they have Carol Danvers, is, she's very cold and un, 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 inaccessible. And I think having the other two there, the other Marvels kind of made her feel a little more genuine. I still think uh, Captain Marvel is a horrible character in the in, a, in the MCU universe. And uh, I think it, she really needed to have these two people, especially Miss Marvel. I, and I agree with you. I think she just makes the movie worthwhile. Um, the, the, the beef between... Monica Rambeau, who does not have a code name, but everybody knows what her code name Professor, is. Professor Marvel. And, and Captain Marvel. <laughs> not <laughs> and it is is just silly at, at best. Um uh, I mean, I'm sure that there are real emotions in there or whatever that they're supposed to be, but nobody really cared or could could, could relate to what they were going through. And so it was like again, the having Miss Marvel there that made everything worthwhile. Um, I do think that this movie, like you said, it, it is the second best Marvel movie of the year, even of the phase of the, of this phase. Um, and, but the best thing about it is that the promises that we get, and, and you talked about the end, uh, there's two, uh, uh, in credit scenes, I wait, guess. Wait, wait, wait. There how many? There's two. There's, I saw there's, one. Well, there's one scene that happens at the end of the movie before the credits, and then there's another scene that happens in the middle of the credits, and then so there, it's like two and a half because even at the very very end of the film, they, there's a little thing that happens that you're like, oh, okay, that's cute. Oh, I saw, okay, no, no, I get that, but I'm saying when I say in credit scenes, I saw one. I see. I know what you're talking about about uh, toward the end of the third act. It's, third. It's, it's the end of the movie, but it happens right before the credits. Okay, so, that makes know. sense. Yeah, I got you. I know what you. I was, was going to say, what are you talking about, man? Like, did they show you something I didn't see? And so those those uh, credit scenes really redeem. I think the not just the movie but actually brings focus to what Marvel is doing in this phase that we haven't seen before. And so that we're, you know, we're kind of like, yeah, okay. We, now we have an understanding of how this is starting to all work together. And, and now hopefully uh, things are going to start working on, on a good path for Marvel. I mean, we, we just came out last week. We were talking about is Marvel in trouble. Um, and this is kind of like them saying, yeah, well, we still have a plan and we know what we're, where we're going. It's just you guys were impatient about us getting there. So we'll, we'll nah, we, were, we weren't impatient in getting there, man. You guys were Disney plusing us and you were doing this and you were doing that. And these shows weren't yeah. connected. It was. Yeah, but yeah, but, the payoff, but 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 if it wasn't for WandaVision and Ms. Marvel, two Disney Plus series that, you know, they, we wouldn't have this movie and we wouldn't be able to see where everything is going as far as as far as it was going. So at least those two. And there's even a connection to Loki in here that that uh, <laughs> is being overlooked maybe by some people, not the us who are uh, comic book aficionados. But there's a there's a connection there that's going on as well. So. 
you know, hey, it, it's it's going to work. I think it's all I think it's all starting to come together and focus up. All right. Well, what did you get before grade? Did you hear me say C plus? I gave it a B, B minus. Well, okay, cool. All right. So Marvels, of course, are from 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 Disney and from Marvel Studios is in theaters this weekend. Um, we'll have to talk off air because I want to know what the Loki part is. I got the uh, before the end of the film and then the post credit scene. So I understood that in the post credit scene, man, folks went crazy in the theater, including myself. I was yeah. like, whoa, oh, that's what we're doing now. That's what we doing. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, Marvel said, I got another bullet in the gun. Y'all thought I was done. So, and then Charles Kirkland sent me a text on the way home. We back, baby. Marvel's back. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? That is not what I said. I said, oh, it's oh, really? right now. Oh, I said, you, what did you say? I said it's on now. <laughs> no, I took I took it's on now to mean we back. I, I am. I'm saying that they're back. Oh yeah, yeah. Charles did write it's on now. I'm like, what what's on, man? What, what's on? So <laughs> having having said that, man, um is this a movie you would recommend, man? I'm assuming you would you would have people like, is this a movie people gotta see this weekend or can they just like stall it out and wait over the holiday season to check it out? I, I believe if you are if you're wondering where the Marvel universe is going and have have been languishing in the in the depths of <laughs> where where it's just trolling along with what they're doing, I think this is a movie that will re- renew your interest in the Marvel universe. Um, it's good to see it another team back together in the Marvel universe. And so I, I think it's, a, I don't say must watch because it's not one of those movies. I think Black Panther, uh, Avengers, uh, Endgame, those were must watches, but this is, you got to see it. You got to see it. All right, man. Well, I'm going to wrap it up and stop right there, man. And uh, just tell people that we are now two weeks away from the 14th anniversary of this podcast, which is not, insignificant at all 14 years charles this podcast started mid-november of 2009 and here we are in 2023 man so chugging along man having conversations every week man but yo bro it's always a pleasure man i want you to get you some rest man because we back at it (laughs) as soon as we get off this off this podcast we back at the movies again tonight and tomorrow night and the night after that and the night after that so, <laughs> so on behalf of my man, Charles Kirkland Jr., I am Tim Gordon. And as we tell you guys in closing every week, please see something good at the movies, man. We gave you a couple options, man. Like none of these movies, are I mean, they're not great, but they're not bad, right? So Charles probably thinks more highly of one of these films than I do, but they're all watchable, man. They're all good films. So until next week, man, You guys enjoy your weekend. Peace. And we will be back next week with more of The Big Show. You guys take care.
Keeping it real.